Welcome to the Young Adult in Ministry Podcast, the Yamcast, where we talk about everything the church needs to know and some things you don't need to know about failing forward in young adult ministry. We are starting these monthly podcasts with a discussion about the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, and anything else we feel like. Hi, my name is Kenny. I'm from Boise, Idaho. My name is Jeremy, and I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm I'm Chris from Cincinnati, Ohio. And here we go. Be back together with the Yamcast crew. Chris and I hung out last week, hearing all about the Appalachian Trail. Jeremy's back this week with the three of us. We're going to get into... uh, some life updates, some young adult cultural stuff, and hashing through chapters. Uh, I think what chapters we got this week, guys? Is it 12 and 13? In... Yeah. Yeah. So, We're almost there. Sustainable, sustainable young adult ministry. We got a few more chapters left, but let's catch up on life first. We've, we've been doing that off, off mic, off recording already. Um, but let's each one of us share just something from this, this last week. It could be. It could be young adult related. It doesn't have to be. Dealer's choice. Jared, kick it off. Sure. Yeah. So um, one, I, just, um, you know, in our podcast uh, feed, if you listen to the podcast right before this, Kenny had the opportunity to interview the the hiking guru, uh, Chris, uh, after your twenty four day Java yeah man. Java man after your twenty four day expedition in the Appalachian mountains. And, uh, that it was, it was, I'm sad. I wasn't able to be on the uh, call with you guys recording for that, but it was so good to listen to as I was, um, cleaning the carpet in our new house. So that's maybe the, one of the bigger life updates for my family. We're getting ready to move from the apartment that we're currently in. I'm surrounded by boxes that we're filling up and moving into the first home that we've ever owned, which, for the first several years of our marriage, my wife Ritu and I would, like thought that we never would own a place. We were fine renting, and obviously having a couple kids makes that a little like that changes the priority level. So more space, a backyard, not having to worry about upstairs neighbors waking up your kids at two a.m. or your kids waking up downstairs neighbors at five a.m. Yeah, it's it's going to make life a lot easier. And post COVID be able to give us a lot more space to be hospitable. So that's a big personal thing. And then here in Nashville, Trevecca, Nazarene University, the school year started this week and I'm adjuncting some classes or was a part of Welcome Week last week, handed out a bunch of stickers, flyers, fancy Sam's Club, uh, what are they called? Uh, Fruit bar popsicles that uh, were very popular and melted very quickly in the (laughs) Tennessee sun. So, was there some type of dance move too, Jeremy? Didn't I didn't I see some type of like boomerang or TikTokish type really thing where you were like doing some kind of some kind of groovy move? Throwing the box back and forth, and one of our volunteers had their two year old son eating a popsicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The university posted, which was it was nice. One of the university social media workers came over and filmed us, and that definitely increased the foot traffic of upperclassmen once they saw that, which was honestly really cool. We were set up to welcome all the freshmen as they were going through their registration through one building 
the building they had to go through is right across the street from, it's like an internal street on the campus, but it's right across the street from our church building. So we could just send up a tent and have music and some stuff on our side of the property and hand stuff out to freshmen and their parents. But it was really, really cool and a really big blessing to be able to connect with upperclassmen who were either moving in or were helping welcome students to be able to connect with them. And, you know, different than in a normal year where we would have been running around handing stuff out in buildings. And last year we had a pickup truck with a trailer, a flatbed trailer in the back of it. And we put a grill on it and went, drove around and handed out hot dogs as we were grilling. Oh, nice. Couldn't do basically any of that this year. And thank you, COVID. <laughs> yeah. So it was very different. But one of the cool, like it was, it provided a, a kind of slower rhythm, which I heard from all the resident directors was, was nice, but mm. for us, it allowed for some more intentional conversations and like longer ones because we weren't running around. Not everyone was in as big of a hurry. So it was, it was really, really cool. It's been an exhausting two weeks with house, church, uh, university stuff, but it's, it's all been good things. Uh, so I'm, yeah, thankful tired, drinking lots and lots of coffee. And yeah, those are my updates. So uh, Chris, you want to go next? Hey, if you need coffee, numacoffee.com is your so <laughs> no. um, So we didn't buy a house recently, but we did have a first in our marriage of 26 plus years now. Oh man. Um, our refrigerator stopped working suddenly no. and um, tried to troubleshoot some issues and couldn't figure it out. And uh, so we lost a bunch of uh, food from the freezer and the fridge, which made my wife very unhappy. Yeah, um, but, me uh, too. But for the first time in our married life, we have a brand new fridge. Um, so that was pretty exciting. Wow, what kind did you get? It is a Whirlpool. And the problem is we have this spot in our kitchen that's only 33 inches wide. And most of the refrigerators out there now are 35 or 36 inches wide, the newer ones. Conspiracy. And there's like three and four thousand, five thousand dollar fridges out there. Have you guys shopped for a fridge lately? I bought Redonculus. one. Dude, there's some crazy expensive refrigerators out there. So anyway. It, Do you need to watch Netflix on your TV or on your refrigerator? I mean, seriously. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it was hard to find a 33-inch fridge that was still kind of a decent fridge. We definitely wanted the ice and the water and the door, you know. And our old fridge was a Craigslist by, you know, I think our last three refrigerators have been off Craigslist or something like yeah, that. Yeah, why not? Um, but anyway, so we had to lay out a chunk of money, which wasn't fun, but we have this cool new fridge. And I swear the water, when you get water out of the door now, is like three times as fast as the old fridge. So, mm. And our ice maker didn't work right. So you always had to open the freezer and reach in and, and get ice. And now the ice maker works and dumps ice right in the cup. It's a beautiful thing. So anyway, changer. we're pretty excited about that. But then we had a storm come through and the power went out as soon as we restocked the fridge with fresh food. So we were nervous about losing, but it was only out four or five hours. So we didn't lose anything that time. But anyway, we got the new fridge life going, which is pretty, pretty awesome. And yeah, the University of Cincinnati students are showing back up. They're moving in this week. Classes begin on Monday. So uh, the coffee shop is kind of hopping a little bit. We've got anywhere from 40 to 60 student volunteers usually that work at the coffee shop. They volunteer two hours a week. And um, so that's kind of fun because we've got 30 or 40 of our students coming back to volunteer and hang out with us. Um, but with cool. 
pandemic restrictions and stuff, we had to get rid of half of our seating. And uh, so we don't have the capacity that we did have for students, but it's been fun just kind of seeing students come back to campus. I actually went over to the Lutheran campus ministry house where I used to hang out. It's called the edge house. Um, and I did some repair work on their espresso machine and their water filtration. And that's kind of what coffee guys do on the side sometimes, but anyway, got them going. They were all, they aren't having students come inside their little campus house right now, but they had a tent and a couch out front and uh, had some fun over there. So anyway, that's pretty much what's going on. My son's playing football. He got player of the week this week. Yeah, right on. He's uh, nine years old. He'll be in fourth grade. So he's loving kind of summer rec league football, although they can't, they haven't been approved to play any games yet. So he may just be practicing um, just to scrimmage with um, kids from his own school. They're not allowed to play kids from other schools right now because of the COVID stuff. So hmm. we'll see how the season goes. But, and then my... Is it Pats? Yeah, yeah. Is he a linebacker? No, he's the center. Um, but then he is doing the linebacker occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of the main center. Um, so, so anyway, it's been fun. But yeah. Things are good. Right on. What's up? What's up in Idaho? Chris, I'm just used to asking you questions from where I'm just, I'm still vibing from our last podcast together. So I just thought of all these things I want to ask you, but I'm going to, I'm going to refrain. I'm going to refrain. Idaho, man. um, This week uh, we were talking earlier. I went to a climbing gym with a couple of the older young adults. They're like out of college. One of them, one of them's married. The other one's she's a she's a nurse, and they've been inviting me for weeks to go to this vertical view climbing gym. This this gym has like um, it's like one I think they said one of four climbing gyms in the United States that has these like Olympic speed walls that have like these auto belay type things on them. Mm and way advanced beyond anything i'm gonna try anytime soon um but they're like yeah we're like one of four now the other gyms have like 60 of these walls and we only have two but still you know it's like oh that's awesome um but that was really fun and i just i was grateful that that my young adult friend just kind of hung in there with me literally on the climbing wall bad dad joke um but i didn't intend it to say it that way um and kept inviting me because it just wasn't working. And then, you know, cost money to go do these things. And they got me in on a pass and I took a little belay class. You don't, you don't belay people with the rope the same way you used to like 10 years ago. Like there's a whole different technique to it. And so I had to learn this new, I wanted to know what the safety protocol was. Cause I might take my boys, my high schoolers, um, sons, and, uh, I don't want to drop them. So I wanted to know how to do that. Right. And that was just really cool. Just kind of being in that, the rope climbing class and then getting on the wall with, with uh, Cassie and, and Jonathan. I don't know. It was just, they extended a warm hospitality to me by challenging me to climb difficult routes and making my forearms burn really quick for a guy that thought hanging from monkey bars and climbing up ropes and stuff is not a big deal. And then I get on this climbing wall and I'm like, let me down, let me down. It hurts. I can't do it anymore. Falling. Um, fall, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Climb on, climbing, falling, track, take, take help. Yeah. So, um, 
my daughter moves back onto Northwest Nazarene campus as a junior um, a week from this weekend. And um, I think NNU, NNU is going back to classes with like they've welcoming students back on campus and everything. Um, I think Boise State though is all online. And I think Idaho State up north is as, as well. I'm not sure what the community colleges are doing around here. I need to check on that. But I've just been trying to check in with different young adults and see how they're doing and spend some time with some. I'm trying some new stuff. The Zoom thing doesn't work for our crew. Like they're not. I mean, if I call one of them up and be like, hey, will you get on Zoom at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning before church starts uh, so we can just talk, like catch up? It'll just be me and you. No one else is going to show up. You know, they'll, they'll do that. And we have a great time together. But I've, So I've just learned to like target, like find one of them, say, hey, I'd really like to catch up with you. Do you mind jumping on or we can do it at a different time? Um, so if I do that and there's somebody on there, if not, then I just get a lot of Amazon shopping done, you know, or Spartan.com or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm still really navigating this as a local church volunteer. Like what is what is young adult ministry going to look like? And I'm, I'm kind of being pushed a little bit to like start a Bible study, which philosophically I told them that is, uh, I'm not, I've told you I'm not going to do that because um, we want young adults to be leading, but I'm also kind of realizing, I'm not interested in what you guys think about this. I'm also kind of realizing that nobody really knows what to do right now. And we do have some newer young adults. We have a new young adult that got baptized a couple weekends ago with our church but she's never been, she's never met any of the other young adults. So I'm realizing I may need to generate a small group meeting at like a restaurant with, you know, nachos and invite a couple people and then help connect people together. And something like this broker of relationship more than like trying to host an event that we get people to come to. So I'm kind of taking that tack moving forward and trying to figure that out um, with some of our leadership and, and some of our young adults. And, and yeah, I, I ask him, I ask a couple, Cassie and then another one named Ben, you, what do you guys think about a Bible study? Because like, that's kind of what was pitched to me, like, we need a Bible study for young adults. And I was like, okay, let me ask a couple people. They're like, we're already part of Bible studies. We need community stuff. Like, we want to get together and do things with friends. And they're doing that. Um, but they think it's a good idea to have connection points. So anyway, kind of verbally processing now and ideating. But I welcome you guys' feedback on that. I know it's a different context than yours. Um, but I'm, I'm also realizing I can't wait for COVID to end. And if I wait for young adults to start doing something to help connect other young adults to stuff that I might just be waiting for a couple of years. And so maybe, maybe I can take a hybrid approach. Any, any advice for this guy? Hybrid seems to be trending. Yeah, definitely in ministry right now. I think trying to figure out how to create hybrid versions of you know ministry connections groups things like that i'll be going to a group actually tonight with our college age group at my church where i'm basically kind of volunteering and we'll meet in person at the church with probably last week we there was like five or six that showed up at the church um and then there were about five or six that were on zoom that connected with mm. us simultaneously so we're going to try that again tonight. Um, but yeah, I, have you guys used Marco Polo in any kind of ministry way? I know we use that just to communicate with, with each other. And 
I've joked with some people, even my own kids, they're kind of like Marco Polo's like the old person right. um, platform to use for things or whatever. But I've got one young adult who's actually married now um, and we're not really close enough to get together. We've actually started using Marco Polo as a way and both of us will record like 15 to 20 minute monologues basically on Marco Polo, just kind of sharing life and what's going on. So mm. he started this and asked if I'd be willing to, you know, mentor him or use this as a format. That's been interesting too. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily something I could see using a lot of, but it just makes me think it's, it's, it's an interesting time where basically whatever format works um, is one that, you know, we need to figure out how to utilize, you know, and to its limitations, of course. But um, then again, it gets tricky to kind of balance all the different platforms and all the different tools and all the different things we have to use, you know, Zoom here and Marco Polo there and Instagram, you know, campus ministry, the campus ministry world, you know, campus ministers are figuring out how to use Instagram. Well, they need to, they're trying to figure out how to use Instagram to connect with incoming freshmen, you know, at a university or figure out all these different ways. So anyway, that was interesting for me is to start basically a Marco Polo mentoring discipleship kind of conversation. Uh, It's kind of nice because something like that, you can do it, you know, on your own schedule. Like I can basically, whenever I have time, I sit down and record something and then, you know, he takes five to seven days to send something back. And hmm. it's been interesting. Oh, I'm, I'm actually grateful to hear you say that you've been experimenting with that. Cause I've, I've tried that uh, actually on a couple different continents with young adults with mixed results. Um, Cause I got some Aussie friends that I'm trying to do some stuff with too. And, and a group of young adults and uh, some of them, some of them are, are going for it and some of them aren't. And then the lo- locally, there's been a couple that have communicated with me through Marco Polo. Um, but I, I think it, I think it could have some real advantages, but if I have to convince people, then it's kind of lost its, its power, I guess, because it's like, uh, if they don't want to do it, then they don't want to do it. Um, but I, I've, I try to find that digital dialect that is going to get a young adult to respond. I can't speak yeah. all the dialects, you know, um, Back in the day, I I tried TikTok. I don't, I, I'm old. I, I don't understand Instagram real, like uh, the whole Instagram real thing competing. I'm thankful for Instagram reels as somebody who's been adamantly against getting onto TikTok. Yeah. um, I would love for, uh, not like on a political level, like nothing against like any US, China (laughs) geopolitical thing. It's just like, it would make my life easier if I could like have everything just integrated into Instagram. Like I'm okay. Them mm-hmm. running like, yeah, no, the simplification is definitely good. <laughs> I spent no, 30 that's... minutes last night trying to figure out TikTok, honestly, and just Can figure out dance like, video? like how, <laughs> how you could leverage <laughs> it or use it to engage college students. Um, <laughs> not just for myself, but other, I'm finding myself more in a coaching equipping kind of role with college ministry and just trying to help other people think through, I didn't really think it's going to be something I use myself, but it's, it's definitely interesting. But I, I was telling my daughter, cause I asked my 17 year old daughter, she's a senior in high school this year. I, you know, she basically gave me a little crash course in TikTok, but she could, she could not grasp, grasp like why I was looking at it or trying to, right. use it. 
Um, she said, I just can't imagine that that would be helpful at all. It's, you know, it's like, and I don't know if you've spent any time, but if you just start scrolling through TikTok and looking at things, I mean, it is like a, a black hole of strangeness. Um, <laughs> I mean, just because it seems like the things that really work on TikTok are, I mean, they're music oriented, dance oriented, and usually funny, like something really needs to be random or whatever. And then there's, of course, there's the dark, there's a bit of a dark side, I think, of TikTok too, that you have to be careful of, but um, with ministry anyway, but. Uh, Chris, you, you know what, you know what I would spend my free time doing is, is watching you um, give a curated coffee conversation live streaming on Twitch as you, um, as you service an espresso machine or, or something with, with play by play um, descriptions of why you're doing what you're doing. Like I would, I, I think I would find that therapeutic. What's Twitch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, wow. Exactly. Um, but well, that's actually something I was thinking of was, well, and you could, I, you could do this probably just as well on Instagram or whatever, but I thought it'd be fun to do like, yeah, just like a quick conversation with a college student, you know, at the coffee shop or, you know, as we're brewing coffee or talking about coffee or something like integrate the whole, like, Hey, here's the, you know, here's how you use an AeroPress. We just did this. It's a great way to brew coffee at home, especially in college. Yeah, I would love that. I would love Whatever. it. Cause I don't, those things, those things intimidate me. Cause I don't know how or why people have those in their suitcases and then get them out or take them on a hike or bring them into the office. And somehow that's better coffee than what's coming in the pot, you know, percolating in the pot that I'm drinking. And well, so keep I would a, totally keep an eye out for beans, brew and banter. And so it'll be part coffee, part conversation, part bean. So I just got excited. Part bean. Part bean. Ah, that's, that's great, Chris. I think that's really good. Then I had another student. Another thing I've um, that's popped up is just a student who's been kind of desperate to meet one-on-one face-to-face. This is actually a student I tried to connect with it was one of those kind of church kids, a youth group kid come, you know, and I went to college with his parents. And so that's how we got connected initially. And he's a student at the University of Cincinnati. Um, but for three years, he really had no interest in ministry or church or faith or whatever. But because of a personal crisis that's going on right now, like suddenly, you know, he wants to get together and wants to meet. And and so, hmm. you know, our, rela- our relationship with that jumped back into like um you know lengthy texting as well as like a weekly uh meetup um and that's been that's been uh pretty cool to connect with him it's not cool what he's going through but it's definitely opened a a door to to spend some time with him but he's i mean that's an example of somebody like he desperately wants face-to-face right community um some kind of pastoral presence you know in his life right now so that's been a good thing too but tricky to just figure out how to make that work jeremy you've almost said three things (laughs) you know um you're talking about all the questions you were thinking about asking chris earlier and i had like a really deep one which was did you buy one of those refrigerators that you tap it and you can see everything <laughs> that's inside? No. Is it LCD or plasma? It's, it's, it's one of those where you tap it and the window lights up and you can see yeah. it. Which I'm like, you just 
Open the door. Okay, Okay, If you have a refrigerator over in a corner, you can just go in. And speaking of corners, actually, we have a culture corner. Oh, here we go. Here we go. And can I just point out that we already did the question after the culture corner that we talked about young adulting, like young adults, and we've already covered that in this first part here. So we can do this and then get into the book. Yeah. Interesting article here in Culture Corner that you segue to send to Jeremy. Tell us about it. Yeah, from USA Today, uh, the title of the article by one Mr. Mike Schneider. Schneider? Schneider. And, and full disclosure, I totally pirated this from the email I get from burlap.com, not a sponsor. Yet. Um, <laughs> the yeah. title of the article is Sorry, boomers and Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and younger generations are the new majority in the U.S. Hmm. And it, it goes into that a new analysis by the Brookings Institution shows that 50.7% of U.S. residents are, were under the age of 40 as of July 2019. Yep. So the millennials are getting past 35 into, into the late 30s now on the upper end. Yeah, according to this article, the oldest millennial is age 39, which obviously- That was a year ago, so now they're 40. <laughs> so yeah. now they're 40. Wow. That makes, that makes me a really young Gen, Gen X then, doesn't it? At 43? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. So it's obviously, you know, at some point that like tip uh, was going to happen as generations move. I, the thing that I found interesting with the article, just um, thinking about how the importance of these conversations that we're having now and then the conversations that we're having conversations about like these these conversations with young adults with college age students and those who are younger like is going to continue to grow in importance because especially as christ followers and as the church if we are not engaging younger generations and if we're not doing so in a intergenerational way like if we're not connecting um, not that there's like a hard break off between uh, above and age 40 but there is a lot that has culturally happened in the last uh, three or four decades that radically I think changes people my age and younger's outlook on life and I'm sure and I'm only 29 um, to where like these conversations are important that was what I was reminded of out of this article and that the, the future the continued future of the church obviously moved forward by the breath of the Holy Spirit, but like our engagement in it is going to continue to need to evolve to the changing times as we prioritize young adults, not to the exclusion of others, but to make sure that we're um, creating space within this Christian faith for people of, of all ages, especially those of younger generations who their lives revolve around TikTok and Snapchat. <laughs> If if we were in the eighties, would we be talking about people in their thirties and their four and and almost forty as young adults? For in the nineties, are we? I guess I'd have to say, Chris, if you and I were in the eighties, would we be talking? <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean. It's like forty and below now is our our millennials and 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 Gen Z, and I'm I feel old all the time because all three of my children are Gen Z at 20, 17 and, and 14. And so I glean a lot just within my own home about the things about Twitch, about YouTube, about not so much TikTok with them. And they may do Snapchat still, but that's kind of not as much of a big deal in anymore. But these, again, these digital dialects that they're, 
that they're speaking with each other. But the fact I think with, with the church is not that this is how millennials are and this is how Gen Z are, but that there's young adults that are here and how are we engaging with them and how are we, how, how, how are we, um, how are we growing in our knowledge of what's different about this generation than ours? So we're not just expecting them. We're not just projecting on them and then expecting them to be like we are. Cause we had it all figured out. <laughs> We've done everything right. And you know, um, wrong, wrong. Um, and before we know it, like next week, uh, generation alpha is going to be here. And so I, that's one of the reasons I like it that we call it the young adult podcast is cause it's, I feel like that's timeless. There's always going to be young adults. Um, but I, I don't know why I, I nerd out on this and find it so interesting of like, what are the, what are those monikers of each generation? What are those, you know, those, those shaping things, nine uh, 11, um, a lot, you know, yeah. is, is, is for millennials, uh, kind of a, kind of a big, uh, one of those indicators. Yeah. I was gonna, that's like such a, a big thing in my life. Like yeah. I was in fifth grade. Um, mm-hmm. and so, but I was old enough to remember like what's, what airports and stuff looked like before that. I remember like where I was the day that it happened. Like I, you know, still hold my breath anytime I look at a city skyline and see an airplane, even if the distance makes it look like they're totally not anywhere close to a building. It still like makes me nervous. Our, the freshman class. So I'm teaching at one a freshman class here at the university. Not one of the students in my class was born in September 11, 2001. Like it's all a history lesson for them. And you feel old. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Well, for, I mean, what's it for us, Chris? I mean, it's the, the Challenger shuttle uh, uh, is one of them. Berlin yeah. Wall. Reagan getting shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, that and the Challenger, those were the things I remember from like school age kind of stuff. Um, you know, we were, we were both probably youth pastors when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. You might not have been yet. I was. I was having breakfast with one of my youth staff sitting in a restaurant and somebody came up and told us and we're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, in the, Naz- in the Nazarene world, we were in Houston uh, for the Nazarene, the district leadership conference. Yep. Kind of prepping for the next NYC, basically. A um, bunch of people got stuck. Yeah. And I had to rent a car to get and drove through New Orleans to get home. I had so, friends that couldn't get a car, but they rented a U-Haul <laughs> so that they could drive home. Yeah. And it's interesting now. I mean, hopefully the COVID thing doesn't have quite the impact that um 9-11 had or something like that but it, it it will be interesting to see if you know like this gen z now thinks about life pre-covid and post-covid or something like that mm. um but yeah i i like what you were saying too about i mean young adults is kind of an evergreen sort of topic but these particular generations there's definitely certain characteristics um or at least we want to think there are, you know, we can kind of categorize oh, millennials are a little bit like this. Gen Z is a little bit like this. I thought it was interesting. Another article, I kind of went down a little rabbit trail as I was looking at the, the article Jeremy was talking about and then found another little comparison that was comparing Gen Y, which I guess would be millennials to Gen Z. Um, some of the things that said Gen millennials are optimists. Uh, Gen Z now are realists. Um, I thought this was an interesting dis- distinction that millennials tend to be tech savvy, but Gen Z is tech innate. 
Um, yeah. And one way they talked about that was, you know, millennials basically, some millennials can remember a time they didn't have the internet in their pocket, basically, but um, Gen Z won't remember that. Um, millennials, you know, tend to be cool with navigating two screens at a time and Gen Z prefers like even multiple, you know, up to, up to five screens at a time, just balancing, you know, their ability to, to basically, you like know, a dispatcher, use screens or something. Um, another thing, and I think one of the articles was making this point that, you know, millennials and soon to be Gen Z in the workforce um, really changes things because they're very reform oriented. So they're not just satisfied with a business being a business, but it needs to be a business that makes an impact, that's making a difference in the world, that's doing something socially um, important. And um, and then I think as we get to talking about the chapter, it'll be it'll be interesting to sort of integrate some of this with that discussion because it's we're going to be talking about um, you know how do you integrate young adults into the life of the and leadership of the church and not just have them be you know, we've all kind of experienced that where somebody decides, oh, let's have a, a young adult on the leadership team or a young adult for this. And oftentimes it's, it can be a very token voice kind of thing. But um, young adults, you know, want to be, have a voice and help shape a culture and not just try to maintain the status quo that boomers and Xers kind of hand down to them. Yeah. thought that yeah was going to be followed by these deep mic drop thoughts jeremy <laughs> no that was I, that was good i uh, appreciated those thoughts from from chris always gold burm, burm. yeah any more thoughts on the gen z majority 50.7 percent of u.s demographics before we go on to the chapters and sustainable young adult ministry. I think. Are we the, ready? I think I was going to say. I think some of the viewpoints and the diversity that's talked about in the article, and that you know, from our firsthand experience, we know is the case, uh, will be part of the even with all of the tension with between generations, and specifically within within the church, that that diversity of views and wanting to be a part of bringing about change, uh, it's what gives me hope within the church that if we do a proper job as what we'll be talking about um, from the, the book for this episode, if we do a good job of creating space for young adults to be a part of leading and uh, being a part of the missional work of God, that uh, the future for the church, while it will be different, it will look different, continues to give me hope that there will be a future and that it'll mm -hmm. continue to grow and evolve. There will. And it's, I, I think, you know, with the COVID, Chris, that you mentioned, like, how's this going to affect Gen Z? I think it, it is from everything I'm hearing and reading and wondering and seeing, and it really is going to affect the church. It's already affected the church. Like everything you read in church leadership right now is that it's not going to go back to the way that it was. Um, there's, and, and it's different across the country. It's different across the city or the town even. Um, but I already feel that happening within me as a person that's a part of the church and is following Jesus. And, and my wife and I, as we're leading our family and our kids, and we're still worshiping online, but our church is open 
And if we, if we register online, we can be one of the 50 people that go and be a part of that. And it's not meant to be elitist. It's meant to be in compliance with the county that our, um, our church is in. Um, and, you know, um, we're going to go back to, we're going to go back into the church building on September 13th. And I've got a youth staff meeting for the first time in many, many months as a volunteer that afternoon. Um, and uh, children's ministry at our church is going to be back on that morning in a limited capacity. But we've got to register because if we're going to go in person, we've got to be part of the 50 people that, you know, can, can gather within the, the uh, health guidelines. So it's just, I think that, I think that there's something, um, we know that there's something deep happening within us and within church culture and what it means to be a part of the church and how we practice the methodology of being the church. And that that is going to affect the three children that the 20 year old that we have raised and we're in, living in community with right now. And my, and my younger, my younger two, I think that's already affecting our kids because of the steps that we've had to take. This is going to shape them for the rest of life on what it means to be the church. And, Sometimes I feel the weight of that. And sometimes I feel a, a kind of a, a freedom with that. Dude, I totally derailed us from going to the chapter. No, no, no. I think, I think that, was, that, was, that was perfect. Because one of the things that I, I think connects to, to chapter 12 here um, is this analogy of the dance floor. Uh, so for those of you who are uh, reading along through this book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Making It Work, Making It Last, the title for chapter four, which is, or sorry, Chapter 12, the fourth paradox is reach one young adult at a time through a system to reach them all. And we can talk more about that in a second, but one of the analogies they use at the beginning is a, a dance floor that because it um, is messed up and has some holes in it, that dancers keep on getting hurt and um, ha having to leave the floor and that they're being blamed for the their own injuries instead of anyone tending to the dance floor. And I think one of the, in the midst of all the craziness of figuring out what life as a Christian body, as the church looks like during this time of COVID, that it gives us time to step back and gives us the opportunity to simplify and to attend to the whole dance floor. Not that there's necessarily uh, tons of holes and broken wood in everything that we do as a church, but it gives us the time I, I know we found within our local church, it's given us the time to, to slow down on all the things that we're doing. And as we're reopening and doing new things of saying, okay, like, why do we do it this way? And in some cases it's like, well, we can't, now we can't do it like that way now, at least not for a few months, or maybe we can do something different. Like gives us the opportunities to kind of draw back and look at everything that we have in place. And hopefully if we do it well, and have the opportunity to be faithful that we can, across the whole board as the church, be able to, to take some steps forward. And specifically with young adult ministry, be able to say, like, what can we imagine what God might be up to, to engaging young adults through our church in this season in ways that might not have previously been the case, or that we might not have previously been thinking, like, I wouldn't have been thinking about how to use Marco Polo to connect with anyone and students ever like, yeah <laughs> if it wasn't for this parents yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah interesting um yeah this chapter i would say part of 
I feel a little bit Jekyll and Hyde-ish sometimes hmm. in, because I can see both sides of, you, you know, like wanting there to be, you know, well, shouldn't ministry be as simple as, oh man, just loving young adults. Let's just do something. Let's just, you know, have this thing with food and, you know, music cater to them or whatever, you know, almost like, hey, if we just, you know, love them and want to hang out with them, you know, that's all it's going to take to do young adult ministry. I think this chapter, you know, definitely pushes back on that, that, that young adult ministry to be sustainable and successful, fruitful for the long haul really needs a lot of thoughtful, intentional, um, you know, process to it. But, the, but then there is a part of me that pushes back to say like, oh man, he just listed like 15 different systems that need to be in place, you know, before, right. you know, this can happen. So that, that was also a little bit overwhelming where it feels like, oh, good grief. No wonder some people, you know, who feel called to do something in ministry um, or, hey, I just want to reach out to this group or this or that. Um, they want to jump right in and, and start doing it. Um, so anyway, I think this chapter does raise some issues about how to go about it. And I get these kind of questions all the time, like, you know, pastors or youth pastors or some volunteer in a church is like, hey, we want to, you know, start this young adult ministry. And, you know, how do we do that? Um, part of me just wants to say it's as simple as, you know, inviting them over to your house and having a meal together and this and that. Well, of course, during this COVID pandemic kind of season, that's tricky. Yeah. Um, so anyway, th we really do have to kind of rethink some things. Um, and yeah, I think the chapter brings up some good stuff. You know, as you look over that, it's not exhaustive, but it seems exhaustive list of systems that need to be in place, you know, for ministry. Some of those things we know from being in ministry and on staff at churches that they're just basic systems that have to be in, you know, communications, you know, how, how do people in the church get information, um, you know, or whatever, a volunteer kind of training system, or, I mean, there's lots of great stuff there. Some of them are not as difficult. Some of, a lot of them are in place already. And, in most churches they might need to be overhauled a little bit but um um but i don't know i just i as i read the chapter i kind of was back and forth wanting it to be more simple but also realizing that it has to be intentional and pretty thoughtful um to be sustainable so i i got beef with a couple of things in this chapter i'm just gonna tell you what they are um one i don't disagree with all these different systems, the volunteer system, the visioning system, discipleship system, evangelism. But I have tended to operate in ministry from um, let's go for all those, but what's the lowest common denominator of systems? What are the, what are the most integral systems that we need? They're going to be our core systems that, that those can't fail. Like I need to make sure that those systems are in place. And, and I think that that's kind of the mode that I'm in with our local ministry of having some volunteers, having a schedule. Um, but my second, my, my second side of beef here is with the database system, because we have a really robust database that, you know, they, they paid um, some money for. And um, 
I feel like every church staff I've been a part of, I come in when they're like, this database is broken. And so we're going to move to a new one. And then we spend lots of money on a new one and we get it. And then about five, six years later, we go, this one doesn't work very good. Like we didn't really even like it to begin with. And there's a better shinier one over here. So I don't care what the system is. It's kind of like, if you have a purpose statement, it's probably going to have evangelism, discipleship, worship and service and something else in there. I don't know, but it's going to have those, you know, these three components. I have a database. I communicate with lots of young adults. Tell me if I'm wrong on this. They will gladly give their email because they will not check it. I have very few cell phone numbers, even though as we handed them the card or, you know, gave them the digital option to fill out, they self deselect on the cell phone because they're like, that's, that's too, I don't want you texting me. Like if I, if I want to talk to you, like, then I'll make that happen. So I've had this push at different times where I felt this pressure to like get people cell phone numbers so we can add them into our database so that we can text them. And you know, it's the young adults that I text that are the ones that, that through the database that they're the ones that respond. I have yet to get an email response from a young adult and we have hundreds of young adults emails. Um, and so I still do it to be consistent and to follow the program and to use the database. Um, but the young adults that I'm around um, and, and especially during quarantine, Corona, COVID stuff, they're just, they just want to be in person and um, email, whatever, text, maybe they might respond if I text them. Um, I thought Marco Polo would be a little bit more appealing. Um, I didn't realize it was an old person's thing, but I, I'm feeling more and more like it is. Um, so I don't know what, I have a database. I've got lots of emails. I have very fewer, you know, cell phone numbers. I cannot make them give me their cell phone number. But even the ones that are like dehabitating from social media say, call me or text me, but I don't have their number because they didn't give it to me. Now, what do I do? Yeah, I think it's a, an interesting point that uh, it's really easy to blame the uh, issues on a database when just about all databases work the same. It's, it's how we use them that actually- Human error. That, yeah. yeah. Either not keeping it updated or like you said, not being able to get uh, the information that's most useful. I know that like, yeah, we have a database. I send out a weekly email um, and I always include in it a big button at the bottom that says, I think I want to opt out of emails and uh, future cinnamon rolls or something. <laughs> to, in, in a previous uh, lifetime, Ritu would make uh, cinnamon rolls a lot for for uh, young adults when we got together. So that like, for me, it's like, if you don't want to receive this email, like totally opt out now, that allows me to be like, you get less email and then I'm actually communicating to people who want to get this. But for me, talking about multiple platforms, the communication platform that's been the most useful is GroupMe, which is like WhatsApp. It's like Facebook Messenger. It's, but it's, it's the one that's used here. Like, I don't know, I didn't have it before I got to Tennessee. And it's not my favorite in terms of uh, the way stuff functions, but it's what I use. I, I use it for like, t- I have two groups. There is a young adult one where uh, it was started to be able to let everybody know if anyone wanted to go up to lunch after Sunday services, where people were going to go to get lunch together, if people wanted to go together. And then I started one. And this is how I have a lot of 
students information to where I can message them. But a lot of them I don't within that app, I can't actually access their phone number, which is like is fine. I can, but I have a group where they've opted in to want to be a part of at least getting notifications about our small group on Thursday nights. And so there are some of them Well, they'll show up every Thursday night, they get all the, like and people respond back and stuff share prayer requests. And then there are some that are on there and they may be coming to one thing a quarter or one thing a semester, but they know about it because of that, because it, it's, a, it's a messaging thing. It's not an email. Um, and by virtue of them getting added in by their friends, then I can, if I need to check in on them about something or if I want to reach out to them, I can message them separately like in any other messaging app. And so yeah. that's how I have, oh, like um, that's the, for me, that's been the biggest uh, benefit uh, in terms of being able to communicate stuff. So if I send anything in an email, I take the one or two most important things and then I drop it into that chat as well and have a lot more students uh, and young adults respond to that than anything that I send over email. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too that, you know, if I'm struggling to communicate with a student, um, once I cross a certain bridge with them in terms of the relationship, um, you know, we hang out together or say, it just seems like there's always some kind of relational landmark that we get to and then is when they give me access, so to speak, to like texting or whatever. GroupMe has been, yeah, super good, super helpful. Um, again, you always, depending on how big the group is or how it kind of came together, you always have, you know, sort of the 20 or 30% who ignore everything or don't want to get with the program and you download GroupMe or whatever. Um, but it's been fairly effective. I would say the most effective until I have a certain level of relationship and then texting seems to take over a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, I'll push back on the chapter as well. This whole systems approach in that I don't think any of these systems are going to take the place of genuine community relationship kind of stuff. Agreed. And I think also something I'm concerned about with the college age group that I'm going to hang out with tonight is the person who's really leading that. And I'm just playing a supportive role with them is pushing it really heavy on content, really heavy on let's do this study. Let's do this book. Um, and I think, especially with how easily accessible content and information is these days, um, that this is something the church is really going to have to shift. Not that, not that doctrine and content and biblical, you know, Bible study stuff is not important, but if, if we don't get the relationship and the community piece, if we don't really nail that or make that a priority, I just think the other stuff, you know, so in this group that I'm helping to co-lead, it's going to be interesting because when I'm, you know, basically once a month, I'll be the one to facilitate the discussion, the dialogue. So on those nights, I'm going to drive it towards, I want this to be 75% relational and life sharing kind of stuff, and maybe 25% content, you know, what, what's, what's the chapter say, or what, you know, what's the material about this week or whatever. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see if I can help shift the culture of the group to that relational because I can tell some of these college age students 
um, in this group I'm a part of is mainly college age um, and not a whole lot of 25 and up kind of young adults, but it'll be interesting if, if we can see some momentum and see some community kind of stuff kind of grow a little bit. Um, but anyway, that's my pushback a little bit on this systems approach. I do like the idea of being intentional and having systems, being able to replicate, you know, create a culture that, you know, basically helps you reproduce, um, you know, your ministry vision and connections and things like that. But I just, none of it's going to substitute for, I think, real relational connection. Yeah. And I think that's for, for young adults, that's one of the main things that we as a, as local church leaders and the different ways that we do that and can bring something to the table that's unique, like in terms of content. Um, I, I think this is something you've said previously on the podcast, Chris, is like, you know, you can get content elsewhere, uh, but it's the relationships that not only do they really matter, but that it's the one unique thing that we can bring to the table in small group settings like that, that you can't, as we've learned over the last six months, you cannot um, replicate fully online um, in any kind of format. Like you can, it can substitute in some way, but it's uh, relationships are key. And I'd agree within this chapter, not that these systems are bad, but if they're, if they are prioritized over the relationships or if they're not used to support the relationship building that's going on, then like they're at the point that they should be making. And I think the relationship thing is key as well to the, to the next chapter, which is paradox five, respond to lack of commitment by asking for more that in the, that in order to invite young adults to be committed in deeper ways within our churches and within our ministries, like that comes out of relationships like, um, I mean, that, that works on like a, a, on a dating level that like, you don't want to jump into the deep end of commitment too quickly. It can burn out real fast. And I think that's the same thing within pastoral ministry and church ministry life as well, that like it, you want to have that deeper level of commitment, but it has to be predicated on real relationships. I would say from my own experience, um, you know, with failing forward in young adult ministry, um, it, it's ne I think it's rarely a good idea to just try to engage young adults through a program or for the sake of their volunteer labor. Yeah. And oftentimes young adults are just seen as this lame, this magic, you know, resource of new volunteers to help run you know do the youth ministry and i think college age and young adults can make great volunteers in in a youth ministry um but i think that's a pretty small percentage of the ones that are ready to do that and kind of mm -hmm. able to do that um but i just think you know this chapter this paradox i think i agree mostly with this and i I think the main takeaway for me is that we have got to give young adults leadership and voice and freedom to shape ministry and the culture of the church and what's happening. Um, and I just lost part of that thought, but um, I also read, is it meet generation Z by James Emery white? I just yeah. went, 
got through that recently and there was a cool change. and he's a pastor but he's also quite academic he was the president of gordon theological gordon conwell seminary for a little while it, there was a cool chapter where he kind of outlines their approach as a church and they are very very much targeting young adults that they want young adults in leadership and he had a great little section there where he kept you know when you're in a church and you run into oh yeah we want young adults to feel like they're part of things have a voice but yeah we're still going to make all the decisions we're still going to you know do what we want to do and and as he would engage people in the church who didn't want to basically give up control you know he kept over and over again saying hey this is not about you um, and I think this is a very difficult conversation in the church as pastors and leaders, when you kind of have this pushback of older Christians or the Christians who want church to be about taking care of their needs, basically, uh, this being able to s constantly say this diplomatically in a way that people will receive it. But hey, this is, this is not about you, okay? This is about a new generation of leadership. This is about making sure that our churches aren't, you know, dying in 20 years um, because we've not allowed young adults to really engage and take ownership and stuff like that. So anyway, generally I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of this chapter, I think. Here's my two takeaway quotes on the same page, page 145. It's time to give up trying to assimilate the next generation. They want a role in shaping and creating an entirely new culture. Mm. And I, I'm guilty of that, trying to get people to be a part of what I'm doing instead of inviting them to be, I think on the next page or the page after it talks about being, to become co-creators together. You know, this is what God invites us to do um, in relationship with him is to, is to help co-create. He is the creator that invites us into that created, creative process. Um, and the, the title of the chapter, though, kind of sets me off a little bit. And maybe this is some of my own leadership baggage um, or maybe experience of thinking that I needed to make a really big ask from a young adult and then doing that scared them off because I didn't really read where they were at and where they were at was they don't want to lead a Bible study. They don't want to be in charge of the young adult program. They just want a place to not just, they, they have those things in other places. They want a place to connect in community. They want a place to connect with their peers. The, I mean, what Cassie said to me this week is we want you know, she's 24, 25. I want a place with fellow Christians that we can do Christ-centered fun things together. I've got Bible study. I've got intergeneration. I've got leadership stuff. I've got a full-time job that I'm exhausted from, but I'm going to make time to engage in, in genuine community. So I think it's really important that I don't turn making a big ask instead of asking for too little into a programmatic like ultimatum either you're doing big things or you're not a part of what we're doing. You know, um, I think young adults are going to make those moves as I trust, as the Holy spirit leads them. And I need to, I need to trust that the Holy spirit is, is going to do that and not try to be Holy spirit junior and, and make young adult into something that I think that they should be instead of just being, you know, this fellow junior and co-creator with Christ it doesn't mean I can't speak into um, and say, wow, I see these, you know, I see these things in you, or have you ever thought about this? Um, but it really turns me off when somebody comes to me and, you know, tells me of all the things I really could be capable of if I applied myself. I think how you do it is, is really important too. And I, I want to hear that from somebody I have, well, 
I'm more open to hearing that than somebody I have a relationship with. Yeah. Exactly. But if it's kind of the pastor I see once a week and not really connect to this young adult ministry and I've been coming and then they lay into me about how I need to be doing more, you know, I don't know. I, I'm probably taking it uh, a tangential direction that it didn't, it didn't intend. I just think that there's a continuum there of challenging young adults um, appropriately to relationally knowing where they are at and then being sensitive to how the spirit is already working. And it's not me. That's, that's like um, trying to initiate that, like God's already doing that in their lives. I get to be a part of it if I earn it. Yeah. It, it requires the relationship to know if the big ask is anything that would even be something that they would be interested in or that the Holy spirit's um, been leaning into them on. Like when you, when we, do that well or when that's done well i feel like then uh, the rest of the church is trying to keep up with what the young adults are doing like uh, back at the beginning of march we had tornadoes come here through nashville and like the young adults and the college students like across the city responded to helping people in some amazing super generous over-the-top ways but we're doing anything and everything they could to help like and it was then, you know, the churches that were responding, like trying to, to keep up with the energy and the desire to truly be the hands and feet of Christ in a really like high need situation. And so mm -hmm. I, when we, yeah, that comes out of relationships. Um, a lot of that is contextual as well, but all these things that we're talking about, we keep on like, it's predicated on relationships. Systems only work um, if they're based on relationships. Having a big ask only works if there are relationships, that's, I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? <laughs> like it was relationships. Like that's. Yeah. And then he leaned into it when the relationship was there. Yeah. That's the. Except, that's the except for the rich young ruler, you know, that kept all the law. I read this this week and I thought, you know what? I, I, th I think I see this a different way now. The reason that, you know, I've kept all these things. Okay. If you want to be perfect, then go sell everything you own and, and give it to the poor. I think the reason that he walked away, and Jeremy, maybe you can identify that this is having, you know, in the process of moving. The reason he walked away and he was sad was because it's really hard work to do a yard sale. There's just so many things to tag. It's just like, it's not that he was unwilling. It's just that, wow, the process we have to go through to, to have the rummage sale, to get rid of the things that, that we don't need and to convert them into things that are, that are needable, you know? So I'll go deeply theological here. Uh, for, Please redeem what I just said. For a moment as we wrap up here. Yes. The work of sanctification is hard work. To allow Christ to, within our own lives, to take stuff away. For the, for the rich young ruler to give stuff up. And within the church, as a body, as the body of Christ, as sisters and brothers in Christ, to, to give up control and everything that we've always done because we've always done it to give new space for God to do what only God can do. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Parting thoughts, Chris, before we take it out. Yeah, I totally agree. The relationship piece, like, I think until you, like, until you spent time with Cassie and knew kind of what made her tick and what she was really passionate about, you could make a big ask of her just thinking like, oh, here's a young adult who's really excited about being part of group of the church or whatever and you basically just try to pair them up with something that's on your agenda mm. um, mm -hmm. but since you've spent time with her and you know kind of what's 
motivating her and what she's passionate about, you know, and I think that's the case with, you know, most of our relationships, you know, with college students and young adults, it takes that kind of investment relationally to really know, be able to speak, you know, be able to call them to, to some specific things that they would actually respond to. And, and there is a, a parallel, I think, to that in our, in this process of becoming more and more transformed in the likeness of Christ is that we're entering deeper and deeper into this relationship. Well, that gives Christ access to more and more of us. Um, as we know Christ better, Christ knows us better, so to speak. Um, Mm. He can really specifically, you know, call us to higher levels of commitment right where, um, right where we need it. You guys sound like pastors. Wow. I like it. Well, until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. Please, please be teachable. Hey, be flexible. And maybe even try something new. Cool. See you guys. Great conversation, guys. Thank you.